So this morning what I wanna do is take a look back at 2016 and talk a little bit about some of the fruit that we've been able to see in terms of what the Lord has done um, in our midst, in our church. You can think of this sort of like a board that my parents pull out every year when we go and visit them. When I, when I was growing up, my, um, in our basement, there was a particular doorway that my dad marked each of uh, my growth spurts uh, growing up as a child. So, so I'm on that board, and my sister's on that, on that board. But when they move, what he did is he transposed that board to a, another board that was more portable. And so when we go and visit them at Christmas, he'll pull that board out again, and each of our kids, the little kids first will go up, and they'll stick against that board, and he'll you know, put a ruler, and he'll mark, and then we'll all take a step back. Look how much you've grown, and then what they'll do is they'll compare and they'll see like, like how tall was, especially the boys, how tall was I at that age? And, and, um, and, and what's funny is that the little kids are all excited about it because the older kids are kind of like, yeah, I'm not. And then they see the board come out and they see the kids get all excited. They're like, hey, grandpa, try me a minute. And look. And, and then I see that and I'm like, hey, dad, I, I want to get on the board again. So I get on the board and <laughs> And what I'm looking for is to see if I'm shrinking. That's what I'm looking for, right? Like, I, no, no shrinking, man. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not losing anything on the verticality. I may be gaining something the other way, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not, gaining, not losing anything at the, the height. And the thing is, is, is that board becomes a, a fun family moment. It also becomes a history marker because then I get to show my boys, look at this, 15, 16, 17, and they can see in my life like three and a half inches, four inches, four inches, and they can feel really sorry for me about how it hurt when I was in high school, how much harder my life was than theirs, and how I had to walk up both uh, hill both ways to school barefoot in the snow, you know what I'm saying? So, so this board becomes a, a marker, not only of growth, but also of some history to kind of remind all of us what the last couple years have been like. And what I want to do is kind of pull out a proverbial board and give you some, some stats, some data on what we've seen the Lord do in the midst of our church in the last year. I don't do this very often, but I think it's important for us just to take a step back and go, 2016 was a, a year where we saw the Lord do some wonderful things. I just want to remind you that we walked through a number of sermon series on lament, um, heaven, uh, what it means to live like Daniel, to believe the Bible, two kingdoms over the summer, and now we're just, just wrapped up the first chapter of a series on the exiled life. I'm so thrilled to tell you that we've welcomed 225 new members to our church family. 379 of you have entered into small groups for the first time, and 41 people from our congregation have stepped forward to say, you know what, we're gonna be a small group leader at North Indy, and small groups are such a vital part of our strategy for discipleship Really grateful that we've been able to see that. We have a Christmas offering that's coming up with um, reaching into the Brookside neighborhood. 1,200 of you have participated in the Dale Shaw Brookside Roadie Tour. And I know you've just enjoyed uh, that, and I'm excited to see how the Lord's gonna use our generosity to, to, to further impact that wonderful community. We actually have three families right now that are praying about moving into the Brookside neighborhood. Can't wait to see what's gonna happen with that. We have a website, and uh, we really want to be uh, able to serve you with that website. We've had um, 97,000 people visit our website this year. 5,000 of you have our um, church app, and you use it on a regular basis, and we've been streaming services for a number of years. This year, we had over 30,000 people use that uh, um, that streaming service at some point throughout the course of the year. Here was a, a, a data point that just kind of blew me away. Of the 196 countries around the world, 
176 countries, someone in that country has visited our website this last year. And, yeah, and guess the country that's second to the United States in the most hits. Russia. I don't know what that means, but (laughs) we're excited about it. So, yeah, that's awesome. Ah, right? So... So another thing we're trying to do is to help our elders do a better job of shepherding, and we made some really significant strides in that in 2016. We, we broke the congregation up, our members up, into various regions around the city. You might think of those kind of like parishes. We wanted to be sure that they had elders assigned to them, and each of those parishes or those regions has a, a book with uh, pictures of your family, and so our elders have been praying through those names. Some of you have been a part of maybe a, a, a regional gathering or a parish gathering, um, and we're just trying to help our elders elders do a better job not just shepherding the whole, but shepherding the part, the individuals of our church. We even changed the way that we were doing our um, elder meetings to be sure that we're balanced, not just talking about the business side of the ministry, but also talking about the people side of the ministry, and to be sure that we're really serving you well as elders. We worked hard this year to develop our next door mission model, coming up with this family of churches perspective, um, with a particular pathway for College Park Fishers to be self-governing by uh, November of 2018. We were able to help Living Faith Church on the west side, and uh, Dan Weller, one of our pastoral residents, was placed there. We sent a few families his direction. We also were able to um, help behind the scenes with uh, Soma Church and also Resonate Church. And tonight we're also um, laying before you the opportunity to purchase some property for the Fishers campus. So we've been hard at work trying to reach our city. We um, have the new connecting space in our guest reception area. About 700 people who are first-time visitors to College Park Church made their way through the guest reception area, and we use that connecting space to help people bridge from where they are to where they need to be in terms of connection. We had about 130 people complete our um, discipleship and counseling training. We added 15 additional people to the team that regularly regularly counsels and disciples people. We have women's Bible studies, along with Moms Connection, 600 women who are involved in those Bible studies or Moms Connection. And then we also have a next generation ministry here, basically Children's Sunday School in Awana, which always needs more volunteers, and yet at the same time, they have really done a great job this year of staffing our children's ministry. You've done a great job in volunteering, 520 of you volunteer in some way in Next Generations. And that's really important because that area is growing. For instance, guess how many babies were born to College Park people this year. Don't look at the notes, Jermaine. Don't look at the notes. So guess how many? How many do you think, Gary? 500. Close. 207. So we're half as fertile as what Gary thinks we are, okay? So, but the fact is, we've welcomed a lot of new babies um, into our, uh, our church over the last year, and we're thrilled with that. We're, we're going to ask you to approve a budget tonight that uh, Bill mentioned, and you need to know that budget for 2017 is uh, an important one, and interestingly enough, 40% of that budget is going to be spent on things outside of what's happening here at 96th in town. So if you wonder, hey, are we balanced in terms of how much money we spend inside versus outside? If you think uh, 40% is balanced, I do. Uh, I'm encouraged uh, with that. As well, you know, there's been a really wonderful thing that's happened in regards to diversity within our church in 2016. Really hoping and praying that continues. 
Uh, there's going to be 50 people today who are going to meet, as they do uh, monthly, to talk about diversity-related issues. Our last membership class had 13% um, diversity in it compared to um, only 6% last year. And so we're seeing that trend continue, and we want to see that continue. And by the way, on that particular subject, can I just remind you that, in, that the election didn't solve anything as it relates to race relations in our country. In fact, in some respects, it, that conversation is going to have to continue. And I just want to encourage you, as followers of Jesus, I want to remind you, Jesus is our king, regardless of what you thought about the election. I'm not making a political statement at all. What I am making a statement about is the gospel, which means Jesus is our king. If you're a part of this church, you're brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is a moment for all of us, whether you're white, Latino, Asian, or African American, to lean into one another, not lean away, and be sure that we weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and realize that the church needs to be a sanctuary of people from all walks of life. So I just want to remind you, just be sure you really love one another, not only this Sunday, but in multiple Sundays coming on through the future, because the world needs to see a group of people from all walks of life who love each other because of their commonality that transcends all other things in life. Do you know what I'm saying about that? So let's be sure we do that. And finally, let me just say this. I, I'm really encouraged with the number of conversations that I have nearly on a monthly basis with somebody after a service who's trying to figure out the claims of Christ. I would tell you that Sunday mornings are some of our best opportunities to share the gospel and to be able to present the claims of Jesus uh, to people, like you heard with Andy today. And I want to encourage you to keep inviting your friends. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, I'm just really honored that you're here and hope you keep coming. And we'd love to be able to talk with you more about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. So those are some things that happened in 2016. And I didn't even talk about number of hospital visits, number of meals that were made, um, number of uh, prayers that were prayed, number of times that the gospel was shared by all of you, just even beyond what happens here on Sunday morning. In fact, let me just do a quick survey. How many of you in 2016 had at least one opportunity to talk to somebody about the claims of Christ, to share the gospel in some way or some form with somebody um, who you don't know if they're a follower of Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Let's see. See, that's awesome. So let me just remind you by putting up our hands, like you are our most effective means of evangelism in the world. Like, Sunday morning evangelism can happen, but the ultimate strategy is for you to be scattered out into the world and to name the name of Christ where you live and to be able to live out what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I got an email from um, this man. He's a, a pastor in the Dayton area. This is his son. And um, they were on their way for a birthday adventure for his 10-year-old son. A guy pastors a, a medium-sized church, and he was trying to have a weekend where he could kind of make up some time with his son. The problem is, is that he didn't realize that his gas gauge was broken. Got about halfway there, ran out of gas, and was walking on the side of the road to um, try and get to a gas station, and knew full well that he would never make it, and probably was going to miss this event that he had planned for his son. And then he ran into one of our church members who pulled off the side of the road. He sent me an email, and here's what he said. I felt angry because of my gas gauge, but bigger than that, I felt like a failure as a dad. My son was handling it well, but I knew this was going to be a deep disappointment to him, and I should have been better prepared. As a pastor of a mid-sized church in Dayton that's growing, it's exciting to be stretched and challenged, but it also takes a lot of time and energy, and I was feeling guilty for the times that, that week that I hadn't been there for him or hadn't planned better for our trip. 
Enter College Park Joe. Now, I, I changed the name, just so you know. So, um, who pulled over and picked us up. Joe was amazing. He was kind and gracious and loving. He, he, I knew he must be a follower of Jesus long before we got around to that part of the conversation. Not only did he take us to the gas station, that was all I asked of him, but he insisted that I put my wallet away, paid for the biggest overpriced gas station um, gas can and the gas, drove us back to our car, sat behind us in his cars so we could be shielded from traffic as I filled up the tank. He then gave my son money to buy dinner for us and told us the best local places where to stop. I'm thankful to the assistance from Joe and for helping me to feel better as a dad. He saved our trip. But bigger than that, he taught our son an incredible lesson about generosity. We teach our kids to tithe, to be generous, and they see us make sacrifices to help others. But they've never been on the receiving end of it in the way that Joe treated us. And I know that my son will never forget that act of love and grace. I know you are busy people, and I share this with you because I thought it might be a useful story someday when you're talking about generosity. Clearly, College Park is impacting lives in a powerful way because the best demonstration of the church's effectiveness is the way that its members show Jesus' love to the world. By emphasis there, just so you know. If you have many people like Joe and his wife, which we do, you certainly have an amazing force for change in the world for Jesus in Indianapolis. So that's just one story. I hear stories like that all the time, and I just want to remind you that you in the world, sharing Christ, being generous, being gracious, demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Jesus is a beautiful, missional reality of what it means to spread the gospel in our city. So 2016's been a great year of uh, ministry, and what I want to do now is dial into first, or, um, Colossians chapter one, and um, then talk about 2017. So take your Bible, go over to Colossians chapter one. This book, Colossians, is essentially about the centrality of Jesus. And the text in front of us is about Christ-likeness as the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for your life, the ultimate goal for my life, and the ultimate goal for our church. The text is beautiful, in the sense that it transitions from some unbelievable statements about Jesus, like in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And I won't unpack all that it says about Jesus here, but it, it exalts the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And then Paul transitions into, if he's like this, then what should you be like? If Jesus is the preeminent one, then what should we be like and how we live that out? Paul desperately wanted this group of people to reflect the beauty of Christ-likeness. And so this text helps us to understand the ways in which this Christ-likeness is to be evidenced in our lives. So there's four things that I want to highlight, and then we're going to talk about 2017. Here's the first one. The first thing we see here is that Christ-likeness is the goal of salvation. Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So, what, what Paul is talking about here is the purpose of why God saved you. The purpose of why he reached into your life 
and pulled you out of the three things he describes, the doing of evil things, the hostility of mind, and the alienation. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, this text diagnoses every human being that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. It means that first and foremost, all human beings do wrong things. And you may not agree that you do more wrong things than others, but you would agree with me that you do wrong things. And the Bible diagnoses that and tells us that we all do wrong things, but then Paul goes even further. He gets to the other layer, which says it's not just the things that we do, but it's that we also have a hostile mind. Well, what does that mean? To have a hostile mind means essentially that you think things are right based upon how you think about them. In other words, you don't want somebody to tell you you're wrong. You don't want somebody to, to change your thinking and that your, your, your mind is actually set against the next thing that we'll see, the very law of God. So our deeds flow out of our thinking, and our thinking comes out of this spiritual condition, which Paul describes as alienated. What does that mean? To be alienated means that God is here and you are here. Or as I've said before here, that God is holy, you are not, and that's a problem. What Paul is identifying here is that our deeds and our mind and our spiritual condition collude together and then that's why we need the gospel, which is why the text goes on to say, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Or in other words, in order to present you as a Christ-like person. So the aim of your salvation, the aim of, of God in saving people is not just so that they'll go to heaven, the aim in saving them is so that they can be presented to God as holy and blameless, that they can be presented to him as a Christ-like people. So the reason that God saves people is not just because they're sinners. That's the problem. He saves them in order so that they can reflect the image and the glory, as we'll see in a moment, of his son. So Christ-likeness is the ultimate goal of salvation. Secondly, the text goes on and it tells us that Christ-likeness is also the way in which we experience joy in the midst of suffering. He says in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's a really interesting passage, isn't it? When he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, essentially what he's saying there is that Paul could see the sufferings, and we don't know exactly what was going on in his life, but he could see his sufferings and realize that somehow this suffering is actually producing something else out of that suffering that I really value for other people. And what was that? Well, according to this text, it says that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this does not mean that Christ's sufferings were somehow insufficient. Rather, what it means is that in the suffering of other people, as they treasure and value Christ's likeness, that you see something of Jesus in the lives of others as they suffer and still give evidence of their hope in Christ. That Christ-likeness is that impermeable reality that come whatever illness or ever difficulty or ever challenge that happens in our life, that the power of Christ, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, can then rest upon me. So that suffering then has the life-giving power in it for Jesus to shine through us as his followers. And so the, the joy that comes through suffering is not joy in cancer, 
Not joy in a a wayward child. Not joy in some sort of relational conflict or financial difficulty, but rather the joy of knowing that somehow, some way, this is forming Christ-likeness in me, and people are seeing this in me, and it's helping to form Christ-likeness in them. You ever had a conversation with somebody who's walking through suffering or sorrow and you just sense the joy in their heart because of their hope in Christ and you walk away exhorted, in fact thinking, what in the world am I complaining about? This brother or sister has got these deep struggles and they're honoring Christ. I can honor Christ in my own particular way. And so what Paul says here, in effect, is that if Christ-likeness is your goal, then there can be joy in the midst of suffering. The third thing that we see on this theme of Christ-likeness We find at the end of verse 27, where it says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ-likeness then is the future hope of glory. What Paul is saying is that the future hope is that you're standing before a holy God And the beauty of heaven is the fact that there is within you a Christ-likeness that is thoroughly embedded in the reality of who you are. Think of it. Every fiber of your being looks, in this moment, intimately and completely like Jesus. His glory is your glory. What he is, you are. His honor is your honor. His victory, your victory. His power, your power. His eternality, your eternality. So the beauty of Christ that becomes your beauty. All that he is, is all that you are, which is why he is the central figure in redemptive history and the central figure in the new heavens and the new earth because God has redeemed a people and they all look like Jesus. And the only reason they look like Jesus is because of Jesus. So this is the hope that Christ in you, the hope of glory. In fact, in verses 25 and 26, Paul says, this is why I became a minister, that I have the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What, what does he mean, the word of God? Well, he means the testimony about who Christ is. And then he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. In other words, this was a mystery Years in the making, and now it's known what God's plan is. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And then in verse 27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, which means that God is drawing a people for himself from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, that will one day stand before the throne and every single one of them, no matter where they were born or what language they spoke or what their ethnicity is, they will all be wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. And on that day, nothing else will matter because that glory of Christ will consume, in terms of its beauty, everything else in life. Which is why Paul says, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ-likeness. That's the hope for the future. And then finally, Christ-likeness then becomes the goal of ministry. Verse 28, him we proclaim. I love that. Him we proclaim. So that Paul is saying here, the church's role is not to proclaim a doctrine, although it should be doctrinal. The church's role is not to proclaim a religion. The role of the church is not to proclaim a denomination. 
that its primary role is to proclaim a person, namely Jesus. There was a a person a number of years ago who um, was invited by a a church member to come, and they came for a couple weeks and then they left, and they didn't want to come back anymore. And when this church member asked them, "Why, why don't you want to come back to my church? His answer was this, because all you people talk about is Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And this guy told me that story. And you know, I, I don't want somebody to not come to our church, but if there's one reason why someone decides not to come to our church, I think that's a pretty good reason for them not to come. If they're not into Jesus, then frankly, then we don't have a church without that message. Like he's changed our lives. And that's why Paul says, him we proclaim. And the text goes on and it says some very important things. It says, warning everyone, which means giving you caution about be careful, teaching everyone with all wisdom, which means in all walks of life and for all sorts of circumstances. And the goal is here that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that maturity in Christ thing is what has really become a moniker for me, a theme and a priority as it relates for our staff and our church over the last number of years. You see, with a large church, there's a number of things that we can do really well, but one of the things we have to be careful of is that you can become a number, and you can come in and leave, and our elders are trying to figure out how to, how to do that in a way to care for you individually, to realize that our goal is to present every one of you mature in Jesus. In other words, that when you're standing before Jesus at the day of all days, when the end has come, and you're evaluated your justification before him and you're in and God is looking at your maturity on that day, I want you to be glad that you're a part of this church at this moment in history. Our elders want to be able to help you to take steps in terms of your relationship with Christ so that you could grow in maturity and that you could look back on 2016 and I hope you can look back and say, you know what, in specific ways I've grown in maturity. Or if that isn't the case, that you could say, you know what, 2017 cannot be like 2016 was anymore. Like, I've got to get serious. I've got to take some steps in my relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, our aim, our purpose, the reason why our elders do what we do, the reason why our pastors serve, the reason why I'm even here doing this this morning is because I want you to be mature in Jesus. Not just all of us together. I mean every single one of you to be able to know that you're a mature follower of Jesus. If you're a parent, that's what your goal is for your kids. If you're a grandparent, that's how you should pray for your grandchildren. Regardless of careers, how much money they make, what area of the country they live in, the fact of the matter is what you want, I hope, is that they're passionate followers of Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So with that as a backdrop, let me give you a few highlights of some things that we want to lean into in 2017 in order to see that Christ-likeness develop in some new ways within our church. First, in regards to evangelism. I don't need to tell you that sharing the gospel and reaching people who don't know the gospel is very important, and I'm sure that there are far more gospel conversations that happen through all of you in the course of your year than what we will ever know. But here's what we want to do. We want to help you to do an even better job of that in 2017. 
to help you realize that you are the greatest force for evangelism right where you are in your neighborhoods. And so we're gonna have some classes that we're gonna offer to help you know how to be able to share the, the gospel more effectively, to share your story more effectively, to be able to make that kind of bridge between a, a normal conversation and a conversation about the things of Christ and help you to be able to uh, make that conversation happen and to lay before you stories like you heard of Andy, of people who, who've come to faith in Christ and what it means for that gospel to be not just something we understand, but something that we really are able to disseminate. As well, it means that we want to use existing ministries and be sure we're using them as best as we can for evangelistic purposes. For instance, our children's ministries. Our teachers and you as parents need to really know how to lead children to Christ. You know why? Because children who are raised in Christian homes, that's our greatest harvest field. Our largest percentage of people who come to faith in Christ are the children connected to this very ministry. Let me just illustrate this for you. Raise your hand if you received Christ under the age of 20 years old. Put it up. I mean, look around you. The vast majority of us came to faith in Christ before we reached 20 years old. And so we want to be sure that we're doing a good job of presenting the gospel, not just scaring kids into heaven, but be sure that we're, we're, we're sharing the gospel well. One of the reasons that we're considering lowering the voting age in our bylaws is because we want teenagers to feel like this is not just a church that they go to, but a place that they really belong and help them understand what membership is all about so that when they leave, that they're more grounded in their faith so that Christ-likeness can continue. So evangelism is something we want to lean into, and I want you thinking about it even now, about what are new relationships in your life that need to develop in order so that you could platform the gospel. God has put you in your neighborhood for a reason. You know, I just came back from an overseas trip, and I just thought, why in the world did God place my soul in my mother's womb? And I live in the United States in this particular period in church history. I mean, why... Did you think about that? Why, why you? Why me? Why here? Why us? Why not? Why this city? Why? God's got us here for a reason. He's put us together for very important purposes to figure out what do we do to reach our neighbors. Those neighbors are next door to you for a purpose and not just for you to say hi. They're there to be able to demonstrate the love of Jesus and to be able, able to have gospel conversations. Some of you are going to get a different job this next year not just so that you can move up the corporate ladder or have a different line of work, but because there are people in an office that God wants to reach, and you're gonna be the person. And so we wanna help you to figure out how to be able to do that and do that really well. Secondly, our elders are continually working on this idea of shepherding, and this involves a coordinated effort through our small group ministry, our coaching structure, and this, this kind of newly developing regional division, or think of it kind of like a parish model, so that we can do a better job of praying for you as a congregation. Also trying to figure out ways that we can know if somebody isn't here for a number of weeks. Um, one of our challenges is, you know, we don't take attendance, we don't have facial recognition software yet, um, you know. Um, although I've got, you know, um, you know, Andy doesn't know this, but I've got bugs in his house, you know, that's clearly how I found out all about that. Um, of course we don't. But the fact of the matter is we need to figure out how to know if someone isn't here for six to eight weeks. Here's how you can help with that. So most of you sit in the exact same spot every Sunday, right? Jermaine, you're, you're off kilter here today, brother. So um, 
if somebody isn't near you six to eight weeks in a row, you need to try and figure out where, where is that, that person and begin asking around and, and have a concern for, for one another. And our elders want to help you to be able to do that and we want to be able to do a better job with that as well. So covenant renewal has helped us with that and um, figuring out who are really members of our church or who are gone and in order for us to be able to accomplish that shepherding goal, we're going to need more elders, which is why we have a, a significant number that we're approving um, this evening, and we'll have more that will be coming in the future. Third, next door mission. So the next door mission is our commitment to not just reach unreached peoples around the world, underserved people in Brookside, but also unchurched people in the city of Indianapolis. With a population of over 1.6 million people in the greater Indy metro area and 60% of those people not being affiliated with a Christian church, using the term Christian very, very generously, there is a field of harvest for us in this city. And we think one of the most effective ways to reach this community is by having assemblies of people more closely located to the people that we like them to reach. It's why we launched the Fishers Campus, why there's 400 or so people now thinking about Fishers and moving towards the, the Northeast. And a part of that strategy was also to see what we could do to hurt, to help rather hurting churches, churches that are struggling. And so we've come along a number of churches over the last couple of years, sending them either people or helping financially. In some cases, we've had a number of churches who've asked us to adopt them and so we've evaluated those, and to date, we've never had an opportunity that we felt like was a good fit for us or like it was a good fit for them. But in October, we had a church approach us, and we feel like this is actually the first really good adoption for us to consider. And so it's being announced at their church this morning, and I'm announcing it here at College Park Church, that the chapel at 91st and Allisonville has asked us to consider adopting their people and also adopting their property. They have about 70 people. Financially, they can't afford to survive beyond a couple uh, more months. They have a beautiful sanctuary with about, that'll seat 220 people and a, a great facility there. And they're asking us to come and envelop them in, welcome them in, whoever wants to come to be a part of our membership, and then for us to think about how we would use that six acres and their property and their people, along with some of ours, and to repurpose that piece of property to reach into the Castleton area and then also south into Washington Township and to Lawrence Township areas. We have a host of people who live in that area. Some of you may live in that area, and we'd like you to think with us about what could we do to serve that area of our city and to be able to reach people people in, that, uh, in those neighborhoods that we could reach now, but we think we might be able to reach them even better. So the elders approved a motion for that last week, Monday, um, to consider adopting those people, and we're going to bring that to you. We'll explain it more in detail tonight, and then we're going to, Lord willing, vote on that on December the 4th. The chapel is also voting on December the 4th for that official adoption. So we have a number of things that have been uh, happening behind the scenes and would love to share more with you this evening. But what's exciting about this uh, particular opportunity is, is we think this is gonna potentially help us to reach into an area that we have a high concentration of College Park members at North Indy and maybe think about what could we do to reach our city in a significant way in that particular neighborhood. And then finally, we have the matter of discipleship. So evangelism, shepherding, next-door mission, and discipleship. And essentially, what we're working on is a comprehensive strategy for discipleship 
that helps you understand how do we want you to grow or what is our strategy to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. And here's sort of a model that we've come up with which involves exalting Christ. We want you to come on a Sunday morning. We want you to experience community. We want you to be involved in some kind of group. We want you to embrace a calling, figure out what is your area of service, either inside or outside the church, and then consider what does it mean to be equipped? How can you move the gifts that you've got and move them into even greater service for the sake of God and the advancement of his kingdom? And you may be doing one of these things, you may be doing four of these things. What I want you to consider in 2017 is what is one step that the Lord would want you to take in some way along that strategy. For some of you, it may be, look, we've been coming and worshiping here for a long time, but we are not connected. If, if, if we were gone for a couple of weeks, n- nobody would know. And part of the reason they wouldn't know is because you're not involved in a, in a small group or some kind of group community. And I think that we'd want you in 2017 to take that step. Or Maybe you think through, what does it mean to serve, and how can you use your gifts in the context of this body or in some other um, particular area of ministry? Or what does it mean to really be equipped to take your walk with Christ to a new level so that you can grow in how it is that God has really gifted you, and what is it that you need to do to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. So the goal of that discipleship process is Christ-likeness. The goal of the next door mission, Christ-likeness spread out all all over our city. The goal of shepherding is Christ-likeness. We wanna present you mature to Christ. And what's the role, the goal rather, of evangelism? It is to introduce people to Christ so that they can be brought out of their evil deeds, their hostile mind, and their alienation. So what I'm asking you to do is to prayerfully consider what your role is gonna be in your church in 2017. What step do you need to take next year in order to, to, to be more like Christ? How can you be involved in our vision of what it means to help present everyone mature in Jesus? Our aim is we want Jesus to be proclaimed. We want him proclaimed in unreached people groups, We want him proclaimed in Brookside. We want him proclaimed in our neighborhoods. And we want to be able to present all of you mature in Christ. And I just want you to think and dream with me as to what your role is in fulfilling that mission of all of us laboring together, fulfilling God's call to present every single one of us in the maturity and looking in the glory of what Jesus is all about. Let's pray together. Father, we... Thank you that this word from Colossians 1 about Christ's likeness is something that we can grab a hold of even today and that our walk with you can be different today than what it was even yesterday. Pray that you would use us as a church to be able to um, spread the gospel in this city, in this community. Would you make us a people who live life on mission, kind of people who realize that you've placed us where we are for more than just some sort of American economic dream, but help us to get a hold of what this mission is that you've called us to. Thank you for great fruit in 2016. We want more believers, more baptisms, more um, growth in maturity in 2017. So would you help us as we grow? Lead us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask those who are serving us if you'd come forward for our time around the Lord's table. Now we get to do something that is really important, not just in terms of what it represents. And what it represents is a big deal. 
These elements represent the body and blood of Jesus, but it's also something that we get to do together as God's people, a family meal of sorts. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you're all in when it comes to Christ-likeness, then welcome to the table. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great moment for you just to watch and try and figure out what does this really mean. In fact, a few months ago, we had somebody who was here, they let the communion plate pass, they asked their friend, what's this all about? And that person received Christ. And so I just want you to know that what's happening here is really important, it's a family moment, We're gonna take the elements, we'll hold them together, make a few comments, and then we'll receive the elements together as the body of Jesus. So let's hold the elements together and use this time just to prayerfully reflect on what God has done in our lives in 2016.